The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member at tntradio.live. Well, welcome to The Reckoning with Timothy Shea on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Fanny in trouble. Oh, girl. Not surprisingly, the recent allegations against Georgia Trump persecutor Fannie Willis aren't the first in her career. This is a very, very, very entitled woman we're talking about here. She got where she is based on her intersectionalities, not her intelligence. And she's yet another in a series of Democrat women, starting with Hillary Clinton, and we could list them all, that were absolute paradigms to work for. And now we've got a whistleblower, someone who used to work for Fannie, saying that the ethical lapses that she has uh, demonstrated during the Trump persecution, not the first time. She has made a career out of ethical lapses. Oh, and by the way, her lover, yeah, he conveniently settled his divorce so that he wouldn't testify on the stand. How much was he paid? I bet you he wasn't divorce raped. I bet you he made out just fine. Where did the money come from? This is disgusting at every level. It's at every level. It's at the federal level. It's at the state level. It's even at the county and municipal level. We're dealing in Buckeye Lake with a corrupt village solicitor, a corrupt village council that's trying to oust a mayor whose main crime is trying to hold people accountable and follow the village charter. So even in a tiny little village in central Ohio, you run into this. Politics is a dirty, dirty business, which is why we have to get people in there with a servant's heart. People that don't need the job, don't need the aggravation. We gotta get rid of all the people making a career out of it. Like Joe Biden, never had a real job in the real world. U.S. Senator at the age of 33, I think, 32, 33, and Stayed in the Senate forever. Did no good there. Did a lot of harm there. Did a lot of harm to the black community there. His racism shines through every single time he speaks from, if you're not voting for me, Jack, you ain't black, to his uh, calling black felons super predators, young, black young men super predators and making them felons for having a little bit of marijuana on them, which regardless of what you think about marijuana and the legality of it, should it be legal, shouldn't it be legal? Is it a crime? Isn't it a crime? Does it give rise to, to criminal activity? That's beside the point at this point. The real point is that the 1994 bill, crime bill, put an awful lot of young men in, in jail and ruined their lives for smoking a little weed. And then he wants to to make like he's down with the black community? Mm, no, not so much. And then at the same time, we have people that have risen based on the amount of melanin in their skin, not the amount of gray matter in their skulls. Looking at you, Fanny. Looking at you, Alvin Bragg. I'm looking at you, Mike Obama. You know, that barely literate racist screed of a senior thesis at Princeton is a disgrace how anyone can look up to anyone that would write such vile, racist garbage. 
and, and she's a darling that appears on Vogue magazine covers. And meanwhile, we have a literate, a literal supermodel as first lady, classiest first lady we've had since Jackie Kennedy. They didn't give her the time of day. And you know what I love about Melania? She didn't care. And that's what we need. We need people in politics that don't care about the slings and arrows. They don't care about being in the cool club, about getting invited to the right parties. That's not what politics should be about. We need to get rid of people that are in it for reasons other than serving. If a politician doesn't have a servant's heart, you're wrong to vote for them. I'm Timothy Shea. This is The Reckoning. The latest headlines waiting for you. I follow the news pretty much throughout the day. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Did you know there are many ways you can listen to TNT Radio? Why not stream us direct from our website on your desktop, tablet, or mobile device? Or download our app from the App Store. We even stream live on YouTube, Rumble, and Odyssey. We've got you covered on TNT Radio. Iran has issued a warning that the U.S. attack on the Islamic regime would be met with a decisive response now that President Joe Biden has officially accused Iran of being linked to the recent killing of three U.S. soldiers at a military base in Jordan. Here with the story, joining me now is TNT News producer Adam Clark, a.k.a. Ruckus. Thanks, Timothy. Um, yeah, a little bit of tit for tat, as it were. Iran seems much quicker on the uh, the threats here than El Presidente Biden, um, because Biden still hasn't made like an official announcement. He's he's decided what he's going to do at a manner and a time of his choosing. We're still waiting on that. Um, but the drone attack that we're speaking of, this was on the military base out in Jordan, or was it in Syria? Hey, Maybe we shouldn't talk about that. Maybe we should. Uh, but this was on January 28th. It prompted the United States to prepare for retaliatory retaliatory strikes in the region. Uh, sadly, at least 40 troops were injured at Tower 22. This is a base in northeastern Jordan that has been a crucial stronghold for the U.S. military's presence in neighboring Syria. To be clear, from what I understand, this base actually touches across Jordan and Syria. Uh, there are growing concerns, however, that a U.S. response could trigger further unrest in a region already embattled by Israel's ongoing ongoing conflict with Hamas, as well as continued attacks on shipping in the Red Sea by Yemen's Iranian-backed Houthi terrorists at, well, pretty much everybody now except China and Russia because they said, hey, you get a pass. Uh, a recent attack on American forces in the waterway by Houthi militants was averted when a U.S. Navy destroyer shot down an anti-ship cruise missile launched just yesterday on January 30th. It was the latest attack on U.S. forces patrolling the key maritime trade routes, according to officials. Um, we had some first warnings coming from Iran on January 30th in a briefing to Iranian journalists uh, coming from Iran's ambassador to the United Nations in New York, Amir Saeed Iravani. According to the state-run IRNA news agency, he is quoted as saying, quote, the Islamic Republic would decisively respond to any attack on the country, its interests and nationals under any pretexts, end quote. He described any possible Iranian retaliation as a, quote-unquote, strong response, but did not elaborate 
elaborates further, excuse me, uh, despite reports from Al Jazeera, who most consider to be funded by Qatar and pro-Hamas, uh, they're reporting, despite the fact that messages had been exchanged between the U.S. and Iran over the last few days through either direct or indirect channels, Mr. Iravani denied that any such communication had taken place. He said, quote, such messages have not been exchanged, end quote. He almost talks like Elon Musk, just saying. Uh, nonetheless, the Iranian regime admitted its awareness of the U.S. warnings of retaliation for the attack on the base in Jordan. Uh, and then now this, uh, Iranian Revolutionary Guard Commander Jen Hossein, Hussein Salami on January 31st, quote, Sometimes our enemies raise the threat, and nowadays we hear some threats in between words by American officials. We tell them that you have experienced us and we know each other. We do not leave any threat without an answer, end quote. That's what he says, according to IRNA, IRNA adding that, quote, we are not after war. But we have no fear of war, end quote. On Saturday, a general in charge of Iran's air defenses said they are at their highest alert. The statement stoked fears over potential air traffic disruption relating to commercial aircraft through Iran's airspace. Um, flashback here, a U.S. drone strike back in 2020 that killed a top Iranian general, Remember that uh, prompted a retaliation from Iran in which 176 people died on board a Ukrainian passenger plane that was shot down over Iranian airspace. And then, Timothy, we still have issues happening with these attacks um, on ships in the Red Sea. So things are not getting any better, my friend. What do you think? What's your temperature about this uh, potential flashpoint for World War Three involving Iran? Well, first of all, with regard to things not getting better, it depends on your perspective. Things are going just beautifully for them because, again, Democrats hate the military. The military for Democrats exists for two reasons and two reasons only. It's not to protect American interests. It's not to protect the American people. No, it's to make themselves and their donors wealthy. And the second purpose is to run their social engineering experiments, to weaken the military by first putting in homosexuals and then putting in now transgenders. Trans is the big thing in the military. And that's what these people care about. They don't care about the men. They don't care about command structures. They don't care about capabilities. All they care about is cashing out and playing their little social engineering puppetizing games. It's an absolute disgusting worldview and it's a disgusting approach to using the might of the american military okay donald trump had a plan for withdrawing from afghanistan the people running joe biden flipped that plan on its head militaries always outlast they brought the military out first they left the equipment behind so that they could arm the taliban and the taliban could sell that those arms to iran they could sell them to Hezbollah and use them to attack Israel. Biden administration knew all about that. They knew that was the likely outcome. In law, in the law of negligence, you have to determine whether the action or inaction that's, deemed, that's alleged to be negligent, uh, if the harm caused was foreseeable by an average person. How anyone could not foresee that leaving behind 
billions and billions and billions of dollars worth of the finest military equipment on earth, leaving it in the hands of our enemies, how that wouldn't come back to bite us? No one can even make that argument. These people disgust me. And Nikki Haley's one of them. Lindsey Graham is one of them. What the hell's wrong with South Carolina Republicans electing people like Nikki Graham and Lindsey Graham over and over and over again? Come on, we need to do better. We need to, we need to elect people, as I said in the opening, that don't want the job, don't need the hassles, that have a servant's heart. But we need to have people in charge of our military that actually care for the lives of the men and women we're sending into harm's way. Now, how did this attack happen? They followed one of our drones home. They shadowed one of our drones so that on all of the sensors, it looked like our drone was coming home. And oh, surprise, there was another drone right on its tail. Are you telling me with all our sophisticated command and control infrastructure that we couldn't have spotted a second drone? I used to work for a military contractor, a small, it was a small research shop. And I can tell you that they absolutely could have detected a second drone flying behind the first drone. So Adam, the question is, why didn't they stop it? Yeah, this that kind of falls into that, that murky conspiracy theory waters kind of thing, but I'll just throw it out there. It's kind of like a false flag, except it's called LIHOP, I think, L-I-H-O-P. Let it happen on purpose. Yeah. Now, for the life of me, Timothy, since I'm not some sort of war-mongering, uh, crazy, murderous son of a... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, who, who's not, you know, I'm not in bed with the uh, manufacturers of these weapons, uh, you know, the military industrial complex, such as our politicians. So I don't understand why they would let such a thing happen that leads to the deaths of American soldiers and wounding others. Um, but, you know, that's for these evil psychopaths to to do and not us. I just I, I don't know why they do this. I mean, I can only guess that it's just profitable for them in the end because they are in bed with the aforementioned military industrial complex. It's because they are what I called them. They're psychopaths. They have no feeling whatsoever about sending people into harm's way. They have no compunction about getting our soldiers, sailors, airmen, marine, coasties, killed, maimed, ruined for life. They don't care. These people are literally psychopaths. Yeah, this is just sad stuff here. But I mean, it's 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 ramping up. I mean, do you do you really think they'll push oh. it as far as we'll see full blown World War Three? Uh, does this play into the idea that Biden really wants to see America destroyed? What do you honestly think? I hope and pray not. But look, when you're dealing with a psychopath, you have to think like a psychopath, right? If you don't care about our military's lives, if you don't care about the security of America, if you don't care about anything but your own narrow self interest, why wouldn't you start World War Three? Because then the argument's going to be, oh, gotta, gotta keep a steady hand on the tiller while we're at war. While we're on a war footing, we don't need to change horses in midstream. This is just another reason, yet another reason why we have to have Donald Trump as back at 1600 on January 20th, 2025. I mean, this is no fool around. This is this, they're playing not only with American lives, they're playing with all of humanity. And again, Adam, they said carrying capacity of Earth is only 500 billion. They're going to have to get rid of 7 billion people somehow. What better way than a nuclear exchange war?
with Europe, South Asia, Africa, America. Hate to say it, but if you're thinking like a psychopath, why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they? Well, here's hoping God will intervene, my friend. Absolutely. That's what we all have to hope and pray for. Thanks for a great story, Adam, an important story, if, if not, a, uh, not a pleasant story. You're listening to The Reckoning on today's News Talk, TNT. TNT's Abby Roberts. So this is the headline in The Guardian. Pleasure of sex is a gift from God, but avoid porn. Pope advises. What is it with religious people and sex? Isn't there anything else that's, that's, that's more important to worry about? And this is what, uh, this is what Pope Francis uh, say. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read in an Italian accent just to be even more offensive. Sexual pleasure is a gift from God, but Catholics must avoid pornography, Pope Francis has said. The pontiff... Oh, I'll tell you what, though. He was all for giving people lots of pricks during 2021. Bloody hell, mRNA's fine, but just not porn. Abby Roberts on TNT. I'm just going to do a little voice I wanted to alleviate my pain. I also didn't want to be who I was. I always just felt like there was just something wrong with me, and I was trying to figure it out, and I used the internet to help me do that. Seemingly out of nowhere, we've suddenly seen a huge spike in media depictions and social media depictions of transgenderism. It's even reached the mainstream advertising world. The people who are consuming this are children, 13, 14, 15 years old, and it's so easy for them to literally be groomed. I just woke up one day, looked at myself in the mirror, and asked myself, what the heck am I doing? When trans-identified kids are referred to specialized gender clinics, they're often told that they're going to get comprehensive, multidisciplinary mental health assessments. We know that that's not true. I was easy to manipulate. The ideology that has become dominant at these clinics is that trans kids know who they are, and therefore to question them is completely taboo. My childhood was ruined. Who's there for their detransitioning? Nobody. Nobody would help me because they had more concerns of me reversing everything. Did this thing to alleviate this gender dysphoria that wasn't there before, but you made it into a problem, and now your body image issues are worse. That's not supposed to happen. What do we do now? D-Trans, the dangers of gender-affirming care. For more information, go to PragerU.com. Are you sitting comfortably? Oh, yes, yes. Then I'll begin. Even when you're just sitting around, we're rocking the talk. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. My good friend Scott McKay is the publisher of The Hayride. And if you don't know what The Hayride is, check it out thehayride.com and at the Hayride on X. He's an award-winning culture and politics. It's an award-winning culture and politics site that covers Southern and national current events. In addition, Scott's work can be found in the pages of the conservative mainstay, The American Spectator, where he's been a regular columnist since 2012. Scott's first book, The Revivalist Manifesto, is the distillation of his work at the Hayride in The American Spectator, outlining the need and opportunity to form a new American political consensus in which a rethought conservative movement assumes leadership and creates a national revival. His writing career started in 1997 with the launch of Purple and Gold, a sports magazine devoted to college athletics at Louisiana State University. 
His new book, Racism, Revenge, and Ruin, It's All Obama, couldn't be better timed for release. I'd like to welcome to The Reckoning for the first time, hopefully not the last time, Scott McKay. Thanks for having me, Tim. And I Scott, agree 100% with, uh, with your assessment of uh, the world is conspiring to sell my book these days and, and i love it you know there's a silver lining in everything and if we're head going exactly rushing headlong toward world war three i'm glad you're gonna at least get some book sales out of it exactly i mean it's <laughs> you know we, we take our victories where we find them <laughs> that's right that's exactly correct listen i uh i came out on january 20th 2021 and i said joe biden will not be the democrat nominee in 2024 and it looks like they've been laying the groundwork for that over the last six months. How are you reading the tea leaves? Well, you know, I, first, can we both agree on, on something very basic, which is that Joe Biden is not in charge of the Biden administration. Oh, absolutely um, not. This yeah. is like, this is, this is 100% the Obama redux administration, uh, which is one of the reasons that I wrote Racism, Revenge, and Ruin. It's not a history book because the things that are happening now are merely a metastasization of stuff that happened when Obama was president, largely because the Biden administration is populated solely by Obama people. And, you know, the White House is not actually running the country. It's that mansion in Calorama that's doing it. Um, and as a result of that, you have these conversations about who the Democrats nominee is, when, you know, the only other guy running is, or there's, I guess, Marianne Williamson and Dean Phillips are the other Democrat candidates who are not actually candidates, right? And so there's still this discussion of who other than Biden they're going to parachute in at the, at the convention. This does not happen if Joe Biden is actually in control of his own administration. Um, and so, you know, yeah, we've had a lot of uh, conversations about this. The, the New York Post, I guess, a week ago. Uh, had a story about um, how, you know, they're preparing to parachute Michelle Obama. Um, you know, and of course, she wouldn't actually join the race and enter into primaries. She'd just get parachuted in at the convention um, and Biden would parachute out. Uh, you know, that that's a strong suggestion that somebody that we didn't elect is actually running the country. Um, and of course, the other thing that's obvious where this is concerned is what's going on at the border, right? Um, if Joe Biden was in control of his own administration, how hard do you think it would be to get him to actually enforce the border when it is a colossal political mess for him? Uh, there was a Rasmussen poll earlier this week, 69% of the public backs Texas in this little constitutional crisis down at Eagle Pass. Um, you know, they, they want the border shut. And this includes uh, majorities of minority groups, blacks, Hispanics, Asians, and so forth. Um, people who the Democrats believe are part of their coalition. So their own voters are telling them they have to do something about the border and they refuse to do it. That is That tells you that whoever's making the decisions in the Biden administration really doesn't care that much about Joe Biden's political future. And that's a good indication that he's not that guy. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I saw a poll that came out earlier in the week that Joe Biden has now replaced Brussels sprouts as America's least favorite vegetable. 
you're absolutely correct. It's yeah. Look, and here's the thing. We had somebody that we didn't elect running the country for eight years from 2008 to 2016 because Obama wasn't running the country. He himself was a puppet. The question I have been asking and no one's been able to answer is where is Valerie Jarrett? I believe that Valerie Jarrett was Obama's handler during his first administration. And where has she been? And now guess who just happened to conveniently pop up to replace John Kerry today as energies are green energies are and good old tony pito podesta you can't yeah. get rid of these people they're like dog do as my grandmother used to say they're all over well that's that's certainly true and you know interesting uh little observation that um that actually was in is in racism revenge and ruin uh valerie jarrett's both of her grandfathers um were friends and contemporaries in Chicago with Frank Marshall Davis, mm -hmm. uh, who is, I'm thinking, Tim, I'm sure you're, you're very well aware of who Frank Marshall Davis is for, uh, for the, uh, for the, the viewers that aren't, uh, uh, familiar with him. Davis was a communist newspaper man in Chicago and also in Hawaii. Um, he is the Frank, who is uh, referenced 22 times in Dreams from My Father, which is Obama's initial autobiography. Um, uh, those references were scrubbed when Dreams from My Father was turned into an audiobook years later when Obama was a national political figure about to run for president. Um, this, is a, this is a communist, okay? This was a Stalinist newspaper columnist whose influence on Barack Obama during his formative years from age 10 to 18 was profound. And so much so that I would say that he's either his intellectual uh, slash ideological father, if not maybe even his biological father, there's a case to be made for that. Well, I was gonna say they share the same mole that's right in the same exact part of their face and those look, side by side by side pictures okay of barack obama senior frank marshall davis there they'll make you think about it a good bit look there um, is damning there is damning is the pictures with woody allen on one side and frank sinatra on the other side of Roman farrell there is damning is the pictures of a young fidel castro and uh we call him Castro, Prime Minister Trudeau up in Canada. Yeah. It's look, the, Fidelito. the photos don't lie. And here's the thing, Scott, I'm a biologist by training. Get me a toothbrush. Get me a toothbrush. All I need is a toothbrush and we'll find it out. We'll find out if it's really Michelle or Mike. We'll find out if Obama's an Obama because his brother would be more than willing to give a DNA sample, his half-brother. Sure. And, you know, right. look, here's the well, thing. Here's the thing. The they yeah, always bury, they always bury a kernel of truth in their propaganda. So they can either say, no, this is true. It's just all these other crazy things around it. Or, you know, they bury the lie amidst a whole bunch of truth. And it's, mm -hmm. it's frustrating because people aren't stupid. Eventually they figure it out. And I think a lot of people have figured out the scam that is Barry Satoro, Barack Obama, uh, Mr. Bunnell with yeah. his uh, 
social security number from a man in Connecticut that died in 1904. It's there, there is, well, there was uh, less vetting of Barack Obama than any other presidential candidate in American history. Yes. Um, I mean, this guy was an absolute cipher uh, and he pulled off the greatest bait and switch in American political history. If you'll remember, mm-hmm. um, like Gallup every June does a, a national survey on race relations. And in 2007, you know, before Obama really uh, cranked up his presidential campaign, uh, our race relations in America were at an absolute zenith uh, of, of, you know, goodwill. I mean, you're talking about better than almost three quarters of across racial lines. People thought that that race relations in America were great. He comes along and his, you know, the country felt like, you know, we're almost done with this race stuff altogether. And he came along and his value proposition was make me president and I'll put all the race stuff to bed once and for all. Um, Look how that turned out. I want to talk about that. I want to talk about how that turned out on the other side of these headlines. You're listening to The Reckoning on today's News Talk, TNT. Question. What are you guys doing today? The news. Now, TNT Radio News. Sounds good. For TNT, this is James O'Neill. After over 14 hours of intense debate on January 31st, the House Committee on Homeland Security, composed of 18 Republican members, voted to advance two articles of impeachment against Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas to the full House for a final decision. Carnival, a major cruise line company, has decided to change the routes for 12 of its ships that were originally scheduled to travel through the Red Sea until May of 2024. The common housefly, caught in the clutches of the spider's web, Every move it makes just makes matters worse. Then, dinner time. Feast on the captivating stories, videos, and helpful information on our website. Whoa. Dinner's ready. Oh, man. Escape is futile. Just one more video. Get stuck in our web. TNTradio.live. Scott, you're exactly correct. It was the biggest racial bait and switch in history. He wasn't in office more than a few months before he threw kerosene onto a match and and started a race racial fire up in Cambridge, calling a yeah. white uh, Cambridge police sergeant, uh, saying he displayed poor judgment, painting him out to be a racist because he had the temerity of of questioning someone breaking into a house, and it was. It was a professor at Harvard who'd forgotten his keys and he was breaking into his own house and all was fine. It's like, who are you? This is my house. Okay, show me some ID. And that was that. But no, Obama had to make a huge racial issue out of it. Well, it was it was almost a kind of like a Steve Martin comedy movie uh, scene with, you know, Skip Gates and, you know, doesn't have his key. And so he and the Uber driver are breaking down the door and the cop drives up and it's, you know, it's, it's a classic thing. And of course, you know, it, it could add some humor to it that, oh, and on top of that, he's black and uh, they're never going to have this whole thing. You know, and yeah, it turned into a a, a, a little bit of a, of a fracas, but it was the kind of thing that you laugh about after the fact. Obama used it as what, you know, one of these things that he would call a teachable moment that he's, oh, this is what the mm-hmm. cops do to black people in America when you know, it was an easily foreseeable situation, the Skip Gates uh, thing. And they had to back down from that, if you'll remember. They had to do the beer summit to try to 
to, right. to yeah. you know, diffuse it. Yeah, diffuse but some it, of the but damage. It's like throwing the, but it's like throwing the skunk into the jury box. You can take the skunk out, but the stink remains. Well, and 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 he he kept magnifying that stink, um, you know, yes, over and over and over again. Every time there was an incident that could have been monetized for racial disharmony, that's what he did. And of course, the the, the biggest one of those was the Trayvon case, which mm -hmm. you know I, I point this out and it drives left wingers nuts. There were no white people involved in the Trayvon case. <laughs> George Zimmerman was Colombian. Okay, let's just say black guy and an Hispanic. Oh, no, no, come on, Scott. Why are you He's so a racist? white Hispanic. He was a white like Hispanic, Scott. Right. <laughs> um, it, it, but anyway, the whole point is that they, turn, they turned America on its head with that Trayvon case. And the race relations in this country from that day forward have, mm -hmm. you know, just completely went down the tubes. And well, and then the I next slide about the gentle giant, Michael Brown, and oh, then we had... Yeah, hands up, don't shoot, the whole bit. Yeah, I mean, which was a it, lie. And it led all the way to George Floyd, which yeah. was the, you know, that was really dropping the trap door on race relations so purely to win an election. Um, and at the same and, time you know, doing that, kind of absolutely destroying the economy in our inner cities. Well, they've been working on that for a good while. Um, because a long time ago, even before Obama, but Obama made it basically the the unwritten purpose of his presidency um, and political relevance is uh, that the way you win those inner cities is not to do well for the people that live there. Right. The way you win those inner cities is something I call weaponized governmental failure. You do none of the things required to run a city correctly or successfully. And what happens is the middle class moves out as a result of your failure. And with them moving out goes any chance you would lose election uh, election as a left wing Democrat, because what's left is a, a small skim of essentially rich white leftists, uh, the kinds of people who want to take away your gas stove and then a large swath of mostly minority poor people. Who are dependent on government, um, and it's very easy to to you know to mold that electorate. And you know when Obama, who trained in these methods as a community organizer in Chicago, understood them better than anyone, and absolutely weaponized weaponized governmental failure to an extent that had never been done. One of the things he did was they absolutely bombarded these inner cities with federal grant money to replace the tax base that they were losing when the middle class and the business community started moving out as a result of their crazy policies. And of course, the Republicans who, who were around at the time before, you know, this is basically pre-Trump, had no answer for this. Now you've touched on it. Now you've touched on, now you've touched on my real beef. I'm not angry at the Democrats for doing what Democrats do. I'm right. livid at the Republicans for letting them not only get away with it, but for giving them the credit card. You're listening to The Reckoning on today's News Talk, TNT. Military families often sacrifice precious time away from loved ones while serving our country. And for those with children, the separation can be especially difficult. We were worried that with him leaving, that she would lose those connections with her dad. Some of life's best moments happen between parents, children, and the pages of a good book. 
United Through Reading provides that connection. You can watch your mom or dad read a book to you, and it almost feels like they're really there. We ensure they remain a consistent, meaningful part of their children's lives, no matter the distance. Just seeing Jacob recognize Daddy again after a long time just melted my heart. And now, as we're facing greater isolation from our loved ones, United Through Reading is also available to veterans. Learn more about United Through Reading and download our free secure app at unitedthroughreading.org. The thing that drives me every day as a dad is him. Every day he's hungry for something. And there's this huge responsibility in making sure that he's a good person. I think the advice I would give is you don't need to know all the answers. It's okay to make mistakes. As long as it's coming from love, then it kind of starts to work itself out. The Reckoning with Timothy Shea on today's News Talk Radio. TNT. TNT. Scott, I love that. Weaponized government failure. I'm going to steal that, but I promise you when I post it for the first time, at least on X, I will tag at the hayride. I made a meme back, this is Radio Red Nation Rising Day, so back 2015, nine years ago, one of the most beautiful rooms in the world is the New York Public Library Reading Room. Well, the reading room at the Detroit Public Library was just as beautiful, built back at the turn of the century in Beaux-Arts style, beautiful wood paneling elegant lamps on the tables. It was just absolutely gorgeous. And then I found a picture of the Detroit Library reading room with the ceiling caved in, trees growing on the floor, and everything was just in a state of utter ruin. It looked like an episode of Life After People. And I put them side by side, and the meme was your city, your city on Democrats, right? I was playing off of the the old egg in the frying pan. You know, your brain is the egg, and then they crack it and put it in the frying pan and, and fry it, and it's your, your brain on drugs. It's like, well, this is your city, and this is your city on Democrats. It's absolute planned failure because these people are psychopaths. They don't care about good, honest, hardworking Americans. In fact, their definition of success of a government program is first, how many of their cronies and lackeys they can employ. And secondly, how many people can they enroll in the program to victimize by making them dependent on the government? Well, yeah. And I, you know, and I would make the argument that Barack Obama is the guy who turned that into the singular project of the Democratic Party as a yeah. whole. Um, yeah. You know, prior to Obama, you know, it was sort of the Bill Clinton model, which is, well, you know, we're going to have um, uh, some outreach to working class folks, and we still want that to be a, a big piece of our party. And we're not communists. We, you know, we're, we're okay with having a growing economy and doing these things. And it wasn't all that hard for him to cut deals with Newt Gingrich on the, the size of the budget right. and to say things like, you know, the era of big government is over. Welfare, as you know, it is over. Like, you had a Democratic Party that was still very much um, professed to have the same values as the Republican Party and differed as to means of producing the social goods that most people wanted. You know, there were the Daniel Patrick Moynihan liberals and the William F. Buckley. My senator. My senator, when, yeah. When, 
Right. When Obama came along, that break became final. The Democratic Party was no longer interested in the same things or to argue about means with the Republican Party. It was all about destroying America as founded by any means necessary. And through his community organizing background, Barack Obama understood the easiest way to do this is to embrace radical chic among white leftists, turn the liberals into Marxists, and then radicalize uh, the people whose inner city governments were failing. And And here's exhibit A of what they've been doing, right? They've been taking statues of white Christians, Jefferson, Washington, toppling them, Confederate statues, but not just Confederate statues. Now they're going after the founders. And nobody was prosecuted. Right? Nobody was prosecuted for anything. But a guy knocks a homemade Satan statue down and he's going to prison, Scott. It shows you who the Democrat Party really worships. Well, they're trying to put people in jail for 12 years for praying out front of abortion clinics. Yeah. I mean, th- this is this is not the America that you grew up in. With Hey, Code with Pink people, occupied uh, Nancy's power. office and nothing happened to Code Pink. Code Pink right. occupied Nancy's office in the summer of 2020 and nothing happened. But if you put a Trump, a guy with a Trump hat on, with if he puts his feet on Nancy's desk, off to prison he goes. And the projection, right. Scott, is out of control, right? So here you have Barack Obama and flaming race wars, making life in the inner city unbearable for minorities. And here's Donald Trump, who not only received an NAACP award who, with Rosa Parks and Muhammad Ali and, and others, who not only funded both of Jesse Jackson's presidential campaigns, who not only was a friend of Al Sharpton's, now all of a sudden he's a racist. And what did he do? How did he express his racism with a crime bill that would make felons out of black men caught with a little bit of weed? No, he expressed his racism by getting unemployment to the lowest level in uh, recorded history since they've been uh, recording the numbers, lowest level of black unemployment, highest level of black employment, likewise with Hispanic and likewise with women since World War II. So yeah, he's, Donald Trump's a a racist misogynist. You know, Ronald Reagan was going to get us into World War III. He ended the Cold War. Donald Trump's going to get us into World War III. First time in this century we've had a president didn't get us into a war. That's correct. And it's, you know, it's the the war on the truth is certainly, uh, I think, a facet of this new faction that controls the Democratic Party. Uh, There's certainly a war on faith. There's a war on the police. There's a war on the judicial system and the legal system. Uh, You're certainly seeing that now with the lawfare, not just against Trump, against the January 6th protesters, against parents who show up at school board meetings. Uh, You know, you weaponize the FBI against Catholics who who go to Latin mass for crying out loud. As they say, traditional Catholics. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, there's, there's no limiting principle here. And, and the one unifying, you know, like the unifying field that you see is power. It's the pursuit of power with no limit and no, um, you know, no consequence to the pursuit. I mean, you can knock down any uh, institutions, any any values, any virtues that you want in order to get the power to turn America into something much different than it, than it, it was when we were kids or it was when we were founded. 
And that is that's, Barack Obama's legacy uh, that, that's continuing because, like, yeah. as, as we said in the open, this guy is still calling the shots for the Biden administration. So, or at least, you know, or at least the people, or at least the people that called the shots in his administration are are, are calling the shots. And you're right; it's all coming out of that mansion yeah. up in Calorama, not out of 1600. If, if you if you prefer, we can we have the corporate Barack Obama, who is the the uh, the, the uh, an agglomeration of all of these various forces. Um, you know, I I noticed that it's something like 30 different visits that Alex Soros is now making right. to the to the Biden White House. Uh, which is, well, you know, an extension of what George Soros was doing in the in the Obama White House. So, yeah. And there are so many crazy connections and coincidences that you you end up sounding like Charlie on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia with post-it notes on all the walls and, and different colored yarns going between the right. post-it notes and connecting everything. And, and they call us conspiracy theorists. And I always reply, Scott, yeah. no, I'm just a pattern recognition expert. Well, you can say, look, I'm just six months ahead of you. That's all. Yeah, come on. And speaking <laughs> you know, of mean, six months ahead, we buried the lead tonight. James O'Keefe dropped a huge bomb today confirming what I know you've been saying, what I've been saying, what a lot of us have been saying for almost a year now. Why don't you tell folks what James dropped tonight? Well, uh, he managed to interview somebody who's a cybersecurity expert at the White House, who I guess is enough in the know that that they have the ability to, to, to talk about what's going on behind the scenes. And the upshot is they want to get rid of Biden badly. Um, they're having trouble because Michelle Obama doesn't want the job, um, hates politics, doesn't want to run. And without Michelle, they're really stuck because there's nobody else that they can throw Kamala Harris aside uh, for without losing black women, which is the massively, um, well, it's the base of the Democrat Party. Right now. Uh, and you have to have, if you're getting rid of Biden, it has to be a black woman. And your two choices are Michelle Obama and Kamala Harris. And if Michelle Obama says no, you're going to sub Biden out for Harris because Biden is no longer capable of you know, cognitively handling the, the, the duties of, of, of the president of the United States. And they're 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 out of options at this point. Was yeah, essentially I said my opening, up with. Sorry, I, I said my opening that we need politicians. I said my opening tonight that we need politicians that don't want the job. They don't need the aggravation. They're not doing it as a career move. People like Donald Trump and, and there are others. Uh, the right. antithesis of, for example, Oklahoma Senator Mark Wayne Mullen, who conveniently just purchased some uh, stock in a company that makes uh, automatic regulated water meters. And oh, wouldn't you know it? The EPA is just about to issue a rule on using regulated water meters. And you know, the yeah. self-dealing and the, the careerism. I had dinner with Mark Wayne Mullen on January 5th, and he promised, he gave us a list of things to look for in politicians. Because with our friend Brooke McGowan, who's running for Congress now in NC10, speaking of someone with the servant's heart, he said, this is what you want to look for. You want to look for somebody that's had a career, has success in their private life that doesn't need the job. And 
whose family is behind them because you can't do this without having a, a whole team effort and gave us all these credential or criteria and was talking a great game, told us he was going to vote not to certify the election. Of course, you know, next day he spins that around. He also promised his constituents that he wasn't going to run for another office after his three terms in office. And of course, then he immediately ran for United States Senate and that's where he is now. And now he's self-dealing with all the stocks and he's just another DC guy at this point. And I said, we yep. need people with a servant's heart that don't want the job. I specifically was not talking about the kind of person that Michelle Obama is. If she doesn't want the job, I'm happy. That's not a plus for her. Yeah. That's right. That that might actually be the saving grace of America if, uh, right. if Michelle Obama's not willing to do the job because without her, that machine starts throwing off parts. Um, you know, and and look, political machines don't generally. If you go back through American history, they generally don't last all that long. A local no, Tammany Hall had what last, forty years. Tammany Hall ran for forty yeah, years. Yeah, forty years in in New York, and that was probably the most successful political machine in the in history, history of yeah. politics. Um, uh, you know, a national machine that was a local machine. A national machine, you're lucky if you can get twelve to to, to fifteen years out of it. This one has lasted about 16, 18 years. Um, and it takes a lot of money and a lot of talent to keep one of these things going. I think they still have plenty of money, but they're running out of talent. I think they actually yeah. ran out of talent in 2020 and they managed to keep things going uh, by hook or by crook. But, um, you know, now you're at a point where you really start running out of options. And this and is a great, it's a great thing. Yeah, they're running out of options at the state level, too. I mean, you know, our our, our very good friend, Fan Fanny Fofanny, is in trouble down in Atlanta and Alvin Bragg up in uh, New York. And a lot of these Soros-funded DAs are either already out of office or soon to be out the door. Uh, they do have a real problem because they don't have a very deep bench. Well, they don't. And, and they're, the, you know, the biggest problem is, is, okay, you're... You're actively trying to wreck American society, but people notice that you're wrecking American society. And yeah. It happens that they're not crazy about having their society wrecked. And so, well, you know, if you they, can't drive any positive results, like one of two things has got to happen. Either you have to be so aggressive in, in taking power that you're not running a democracy, anymore, which is a legitimate kind of scary concern. Now. Yeah. The second thing is, it eventually collapses on your head because people ultimately get a little cranky when, you know, the streets are full of potholes and the criminals run the town and, you know, the dollar gets lost as the world's reserve currency. And, you know, Iran attacks your troops in Jordan and you can't do anything about it because you can't, you know, you're not going to win a war if you have to get in one. And you people start realizing, hey, America is not what it was 15 years ago. Who's responsible? And they start pointing at you. All of a sudden, there's the political wilderness. That's, you know, that's your destination. That's um, right. And, and I think we look, would have already been there uh, if the Republican Party had been good enough to actually take the reins of power. And it isn't. But hope springs eternal, particularly now that the party is actually galvanizing behind a guy in Trump who is not GOP establishment and that Bush Republican, 
you know, Mitch McConnell, Nikki Haley faction is finally starting to melt away. Finally, we hope. Uh, you might actually have the possibility of a revival. Uh, in, in I America. hope so, because that's what we need, getting back to your previous book. Yeah. And look, I Scott, I've been active in politics since I was six years old. My first campaign was leafleting with my dad in 1968. My cousins ran the Democrat Party in Syracuse. Our next door neighbors out to the lake ran the Republican Party. I've, I've seen behind both the curtains of both parties from a very early age. And I'll tell you this in all sincerity. I have never once been stabbed in the back by a Democrat. They tell you what they're going to do, and then they do it whether you like it or not, but they're honest about it. Republicans, right. I'm like a porcupine with all the knives I've taken in the back from Republicans. It's these Republicans, yeah. I call them, you know, weak-kneed, lily-livered, milk-toast, GOPE, Republicucks, right? They're horrible. They don't yeah. have our and, interest in heart. And we need national revival with Donald Trump and then other people like him. Maybe it's a Josh Hawley. Maybe it's a J.D. Vance. I don't know who he's going to pick as his running mate. Um, right. But we need we need someone like that back at the helm. The grown-ups need to get back in charge. Now well, we've got just you know, a few you minutes need to left. Minimize politicians is what you got to do. Well, it's exactly. Be get about rid of the citizen careers. leadership again. Yeah. Yeah. I I can't recommend uh, Scott's new book highly enough. Racism, revenge, and ruin. It's all Obama. We've got a couple minutes left, and I, I want to talk about now that we've solved all the world's problems. We got to talk about what's really important, and that's how in the world can the LSU athletic department be showing a loss when they had a national champion women's gymnastic team, a national champion women's basketball team, a national champion baseball team, and a Heisman Trophy winner? Scott, what's going on? Uh, $5.8 million worth of contract buyouts um, apparently is the, is the difference between uh, winning and losing. And, of course, the women's basketball team lost $8 million which, as I understand it, is like the going rate for women's basket major women's uh, college basketball programs is you, you know you're going to lose about eight million on that. Um, so, you know I, they're not you know they're not very stingy with the books over there. You know I mean they they spend well, and they've got the greatest alumni base in all of college sport. I mean the women got a gorgeous new locker room. It's an NBA quality locker room that was paid right. for by a donor. And uh, I have an idea of how they can make up the deficit, though, Scott. They just need to, they just need to sell uh, grape and lemon jello shots. <laughs> Maybe they can for those start that don't that know at the sweets. College World Series. And, yeah, for those that don't know, at the College World Series in Omaha, Nebraska, there's a bar that sells jello shots in the colors of the various schools that are competing in the College World Series. And LSU not only set the record last year, it yeah. tripled the record. It, I don't think that record will ever be broken with the number of jello shots that LSU At least bought. not until LSU is back in the game. Scott, we've got to do this more yeah. often. It was great to have sure. you on. That's it for tonight's Reckoning on today's News Talk TNT. Stay tuned for the Havorier Morris Show. I'm Timothy Shea. Until next time, God bless you. God bless these United States. Keep fighting the good fight.